This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by the Reformed African American Network. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. Follow at your own risk, as I always say. Um, thank you guys so much for joining us. We have received some great feedback from the recent episodes that we've had. And normally I would kick it to my beloved co-host, Jamar Tisby. Unfortunately, not going to be able to do that because he's not here today, but we have an adequate, if not equal, substitute, my good friend, Pastor Aaron James. Pastor James, how you doing? I am doing really well this morning, man. I'm pinching myself because I can't believe I get to be on past the mic today. See, and so I'm living the dream right now. See, see, yeah, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so so for those of you who don't know, Pastor Aaron and I are good friends. We we have the pleasure of being in the same city, being co-laborers um, in the gospel in Pensacola, Florida. Um, and and so we know each other. So whenever he's he's doing this, he's playing games. He's playing games here, acting like we're <laughs> celebrities over here at Pass the Mic. <laughs> no, it's really it's really good to have you. Aaron James is the pastor of Relevant Life Church uh, in Pace, Florida. He is also um, a frequent contributor and now staff member on the Reformed African American Network. And um, he's contributed a lot of great articles and been on the podcast before, so he's no stranger to you. If you've been listening to the podcast for any length of time, we've also pointed him out and I referenced him as well, even when he's not here physically. And, and Aaron, we just wanted to kind of just to set you guys up. Aaron and I just wanted to talk about the current election and the situation of how pastors, ministry leaders, theologians respond to particular candidates as far as endorsing, as far as condemning. And so just fair warning, we are going to be talking a little bit about politics, but I really want to mainly talk about the church's response to the state and to government and to those powers that be. And how that's been consistent, inconsistent, helpful, unhelpful. Uh, It's a sticky situation. As many of you know, we were talking about this before um, the particular, uh, the the recording uh, started. This particular year, this particular election has been very tense. It's been very hard to pin down. And, And it's been interesting for a Christian, and especially a black Christian, in 2016 to navigate how to respond. How do we make sure that we maintain a proper biblical ethic as we're talking about potential presidents, potential leaders and rulers. So Aaron, I'm just going to ask you just off the top, how have you handled this season, election season, now that we have our two primary candidates and now that the field is as narrowed significantly, how have you handled, what's been your emotional response to this election? It's been the perfect storm brewing, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like since 2008, there's been this tempest brewing and brewing and brewing. And now we've reached this point where things that have happened outside of the political realm socially, as we've discussed many times before, 
in the realm of law enforcement and police brutality and the, the current racial climate in our country, uh, now I think we've reached another boiling point. And so emotionally, it's been rather taxing, particularly as, 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 as a man, as a Christian, but also as a, as a pastor having to navigate this in, in a way where we're faithfully shepherding well, um, and, uh, not allowing ourselves to move away from principle and, and just focusing on pragmatism. I feel like that's been one of the biggest pulls, uh, that I felt and also that I've seen where, uh, there's this temptation to masquerade pragmatism as principle. Hmm. In this political hmm. season. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. All right. So let's hop in right there. Right there. Principle versus pragmatism. First of all, what is pragmatism? What is that defined as? What does it look like? And how does that differ from the principle that the Christian has been called to? Well, I think that when we look at just what principle means, we're talking about things that are based on truth. Uh, truth is unchanging. Truth is eternal. Truth is universal. Uh, it's unbending because truth is not a thing. Truth is a person and his name is Jesus. And, and so when we stay there, I think it keeps us, it's an anchor that keeps us from being blown this way or that way because we are human beings. Uh, we, we do see different things and issues from a skewed point of view. And so the temptation for us is to walk away from that and to focus on, okay, what works for us? What works for me? What works for my tribe? Uh, uh, and, and to, to champion and rally around and advocate for concerns that may not be universal, that may just be concerns for my particular group, uh, that may just be concerns for, for my particular circle. And, and so if someone comes along and, and they present a different set of concerns, uh, and, and they're articulating a different angst and different fears, then the temptation would be to, to mark them as uh, less orthodox, less mm-hmm. biblical, or, or dare I say, not as gospel or Christ-centered. <laughs> sure. No, absolutely. So it, it's it's actually funny because, okay, this, this election has been particularly difficult because of the extremes of the candidates, I think. So so it's been, you know, extreme type of candidate on one side versus semi-extreme candidate on the other side. And I think the disapproval within... Um, just the American populace itself has made it difficult to navigate the election. But I don't know of an election where that has been easy to vote in Um, since I've been eligible to vote, which hasn't been that long. I don't know of an election that's been like, yeah, this is easy. Well, you just vote for this candidate. I mean, it's kind of like one of those things where, where there's constantly this, this sort of consideration that's going on where we are choosing, quote unquote, lesser of two evils, right? So what do you think about lesser of two evils doctrine? Do you believe in that? Um, I'm pretty, I'm guessing if you follow him on Twitter, if you follow Aaron on Twitter, I think you pretty much figure out where he feels, where you stand (laughs) on the lesser of two evils. But when you're talking about the lesser of two evils, do you believe in that? Is that something that you would, you would say, well, it makes sense. How do you respond to that idea? You know what? I'm not a fan of the lesser of two evil stance. Uh, I believe that if we're standing on principle, then there may just have to come a time where we uh, we say neither. 
um, what I've been seeing is the the perpetration of these skewed binary equations that 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 we're trying to force people into right and and out of these out of the skewed binary thinking we have these false dichotomies and false dilemmas that are being presented to people particularly as it pertains to uh which uh, party platform or which which major political party candidate you're going to vote for this fall right um, and what I think is harmful about that is that it it presents the issue in a way as if to say there's no third option or fourth option and it even degrades even more so when we present this as if it's a sin issue uh, there have been several, several prominent evangelical figures who have said things like uh, to not vote for um, Donald Trump, for instance, is foolish, prideful and sinful. That is that that type of rhetoric, particularly coming from uh, leaders within the evangelical community and pastors. I believe is uh, extremely harmful uh, to the flock of God. Um, I believe it creates these dilemmas where there really shouldn't be a dilemma. Uh, if we say that this is a matter that's left up to the Christian conscience, then we should leave it up to the Christian's conscience and personal convictions um, and, and, and leave it there and not... Because when you frame an issue... For instance, when you frame an issue uh, that it's not just a matter of your conscience and personal convictions and you frame it to say, well, if you don't support this, uh, this party's nominee, then you're foolish or prideful uh, and you paint it as a moral issue. Think about that for a second. People uh, are, are being told uh, in a way that you for not supporting one party, one party or the other, one candidate or the other, you are rebelling against the righteous and holy character of Almighty God. Oh, whoa, <laughs> whoa! Think okay. about that. You, you know what I'm saying? Man. When you frame it, when you frame it in that 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 more, you you make it that much of a. Um, you bring people to that place of, of that, that, that dilemma, that moral dilemma. It's like an 11th commandment, right? So, so, so then we're now, we're now saying that now it has the equal weight of going against the law of God, right? When we must acknowledge that the system in itself is flawed. The system in itself is broken. The system in itself isn't giving us viable options for what we would consider full-throated political support, right? So, yeah. So that's interesting. Okay, so let me ask you this. Let, let's let's transition then. What are what are issues that are important to the Christian and to you in this election? So not saying this is your full platform, your full agenda when you go into the voting box. But what are issues that are most important? So for me, I'll just speak personally. So for me, I do very much so care um, about life, about all life from womb to tomb. So the way a candidate approaches life as far as a dignity and sanctity and value issue matters profoundly to me. So I'm watching what the candidate says about life. I'm watching what they, how they treat human life, not just what they say they're going to do about life, but then also how they treat life right now currently in the flesh in 2016, right? On the campaign trail with their opponents, 
that that matters to me profoundly. Right? Absolutely. So, so then also that's going to transfer into what provisions they're willing to give life. Right. So again, th- this is just me talking here. Now, are those things, this idea of life, it seems that that's boiled down to one issue. And we've talked about this a lot on the podcast before, but it seems as though life is boiled down to one or two issues. But but isn't life multifaceted? And isn't that something that the Christian should 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 want a holistic platform for? So I, that's basically what I'm getting at from my perspective when I'm looking at this election. What matters to me, what I think should matter to Christians. Do you agree? And what are some other issues that maybe you're sitting here and saying, hmm, I haven't really heard a lot about this, but I would like to hear more? Okay, yeah, great question. So, you know, on one side of the equation, you have major issues that are pushed that I believe are valid issues. People talk about, uh, first and foremost, you mentioned life. And uh, absolutely, that is a very, very uh, major issue. Because when we talk about life, of course, uh, the issue... Uh, we're dealing with is abortion and, and the, the, the lives of, of unborn children and, and how we as the church should be champions and advocates and, 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 um, fierce protectors of the unborn. Uh, absolutely. That's a major issue. And I believe it's something that should be near and dear to, to every believer's heart. Um, but there are other issues. I think it's dangerously uh, reductionistic, if you will, to to boil down uh, a complete platform to one issue uh, because we care about all of life. Right. And so we, we not only care about life that uh, that is in the womb, but we also care about the lives of children. We care about children being properly educated. We care about children being properly cared for. We care about those moms do they have access to to adequate and um, affordable health care? Are, are these mothers getting what they need? Uh, but but not only that type of life, uh, we care about mass incarceration. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we care about overcriminalization. We, we care about uh, systemic racism and oppression. Um, I, I care deeply about a flawed immigration system um, through through um, very close personal friendships and my work uh, in, in different nations, particularly in Latin and South America. That's an issue that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, I, I care deeply about, uh, you know, these uh, xenophobic uh, policy proposals that are being pushed. Um, uh, I care deeply about greater accountability and transparency in law enforcement. Okay. Uh, okay. So, so here's, here's the deal though. You just mentioned a lot of issues that I think Christians and the people listening would amen and say, yes, absolutely. This is an issue. These are issues that we care about. But it seems as though we're not going to vote these issues, but according to just one or two. So is is the Christian stuck with not voting or does the Christian have a responsibility to push the candidate that most closely fits their ideology or does it even matter from a biblical sense? 
I believe. I know I'm basically giving you an entire course to just put in, <laughs> put an entire college course into like a minute and a half. Okay, so so good luck with that. Yeah, you know, I I, I wholeheartedly uh, try to understand, and and in some cases do understand those who might lean toward the the right side of the political spectrum. Uh, I, I get that. Um, I have spent a lot of time in that world in that environment. Um, and uh, I understand the angst and the concerns there. Um, also, I, I understand uh, what would be uh, called, termed the, the more liberal part uh, of the political spectrum that cares about things um, that are very real concerns as well. Um, I believe that the thing that we have to remember as Christians is that none of the political parties has cornered the market on love, compassion, mm-hmm. integrity, and mercy. Wow. As the body of Christ, that's our place. And so no political party will will perfectly and 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 adequately mirror the characteristics of the kingdom of God in the earth because that's not the job or even the function of human government. Uh that's the function of the church. Now, do we have a responsibility morally? And, and this is a very American issue because we have brothers and sisters around the world who don't even know what it's like to live in a democracy or a republic right. to, even, to, to even, even, to even have their voices heard, man. Yes. You know, and so this is, this conversation that we're having is foreign. I would venture to say to the majority of the worldwide church right now. Um, and so this is definitely particularly an American issue that we're dealing with. And so, yes, as Christians here within this country, uh, here within the system of government that, that we have, we do have the opportunity for our voices to be heard. We do have the opportunity to lend a biblical worldview and, and a prophetic voice to the public square to, uh, influence policy. But here is the thing. I, it's not just for the good of the church that we bring our influence to bear in the public square. It is for the flourishing of all of humanity. Mm. Mm. Okay, big big point here. So it's not just for us, but it's for all of humanity. So when we think, we must think for all of humanity. We must think about all of humanity. How do we do that? How do we bring our influence to bear in the public sphere and I think it has to, at least in some sense, revolve around establishing some sort of accountability for our elected officials, for our leaders, for our policymakers. And really, it feels, though, that if we do that, then we're entering into something that is outside of the function of the church. And maybe that's just something that's been taught to us. Maybe that's something that, I don't know, maybe it's something that that I'm overreacting. I'm saying, well, maybe I'm inferring or implying that from, from something someone has said, but it's really not the case. But it feels as though people think that's outside of the scope of the church. We just pray and you, 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 um, evangelize and you preach the gospel. And then once you do all those things, then society will be changed because hearts will be changed. But you're saying we, sh- we must enter into and engage the public square. Why? H- how? How and why? I think in dealing with the how, we have to recognize a couple of things. We have to recognize the boundary of our authority, right? So mm-hmm. when we as believers engage in the public square, it is not to dominate. It's not to, or it shouldn't be to secure power. 
where we as believers are calling all of the shots and we're dictating all of the cultural norms for a particular society. Uh, that's dangerous. <laughs> uh, and so I think it typically doesn't work out too well. It typically does not work out too well. Um, and so recognizing where our boundaries are, that we're here as a righteous influence, but, but the, the ultimate goal for us as believers isn't to dominate. Um, and, and the other thing I would say in dealing with the how is rightfully discerning where our influence can be felt, uh, you know, the, the greatest recognizing where we can maximize our impact for the good of our community. And so do we have a voice in terms of the national election to a certain degree? We definitely uh, uh, have a voice there. Um, but I don't I don't know if I think we overestimate our volume in that realm. <laughs> mm -hmm. I do. Um, I think we, we, we vastly overestimate our influence there. And so uh, in, 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 you know, this this principle of subsidiarity where we start at the lowest level possible. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Say, well, say that again now. Say that again. That was an SAT word. Now, subsidiarity. Subsidiarity. Okay. Now, now, you were explaining it. Go ahead. Where we start at the lowest level possible, and so if I begin drawing circles around my life, where is my influence felt the greatest? The further I get out from myself, my influence would will be less and less. But where can my influence be felt the most? And so in thinking in terms of locally, I think there is a lot of attention that's put on the national level and, 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 uh, the federal government, but right. we, we let mayors off the hook. Oh man. We let sheriffs off the hook. We man. let city councils off the hook. We let county commissioners off the hook. We let governors and state legislatures and, 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 and state judicial systems where we do vote. Uh, we let these folks off the hook. And, and so I think that, that if we really want to see substantive change, you have to start at the lowest level possible. It doesn't mean that we don't engage at the national level, but we start at the lowest level possible. We start in our neighborhood. We start in our community. We start in our families, our backyards, and we work our way out from, from there. And, and I think that if we really want to see, um, genuine change take place for the good and for the flourishing of all people, then you have to start there. You know, right. um, one of the things for anybody that's ever worked in Washington, D.C. or spent any amount of time uh, there, you know, I started traveling there uh, almost 10 years ago and just getting to know people who worked in the political realm and uh, as lobbyists and law firms and things of that nature. Uh, man, that place is a machine. <laughs> It is. It, it's. It's like this. You know that 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 was my that was my initial uh, impression, right? I'm like, man, this place is a machine. It's like uh, this huge ship that that has a course that's been plotted already, you know. And um, it made me think about my time uh, being on amphibious assault ships out in the middle of the ocean, and, uh, right, and, right. and my buddies that have spent time on uh, aircraft carriers. If you want to change the course and direction, you just don't whip that thing around. Right. You know, it's, it's slow. It's, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's deliberate, right? And, and so I think if we focus on just the national aspect of politics and, and, and policy, we're trying to, we're trying to turn something, um, that, that maybe, that maybe we don't have, you know, our, our level of influence doesn't, 
doesn't uh, isn't adequate to do so. But it, but that is the case on the local level. And, and see, here's the interesting thing: is is as we try to, you know, I think some people would say, "Well, well, I do have the power to change it. I want the power to change things on a national level." But that requires power, and then power ends up corrupting. <laughs> and then the more yeah. power we get, the more compromises we make. The more power we get the more sacrifices of principle we make in favor of pragmatism. So I think what you're saying is actually very helpful. And I think most people would get that. So so what are some – it's funny because I think that that the main, the main expression of some of the problems in big cities that people refer to and point to are actually local level issues, right? Yes. So we talk about something like um, Chicago, right? So it's very in vogue now. It's du jour to talk about Chicago as the bastion of violence in American culture, right? And people use Chicago as sort of this political weapon. But the reality is a few years ago, um, in 2013, if I'm not mistaken, 2013 to 2014, over 300 schools were closed in Chicago, right? (laughs) And when you think about the mass closing of schools and the integration of what was previously separated neighborhoods and separated territories um, and separated affiliations now being mixed together with influences from Mexican mafia, with influences from other people. It creates this powder keg situation that a lot of us are not equipped to say, we know what's going on in Chicago. I mean, a lot of us are not equipped to say, we know exactly why there's violence. Well, there's a multifaceted issue because locally on the ground, you would probably see a lot of things that would surprise us, but you can't see them on the national news. You can't see them on CNN, right? Absolutely. So, so I think I think it's very interesting to to see that many of these problems are actually local level problems. They're just wrapped up in this this idea that oh, it's a big city, so it's a big city, so it's representative of huge policy on one side or the other, right? So. How would you get involved in your city today? I mean, if you're thinking about how how to get involved in a city, someone's listening saying, what do I do? How do you get involved in the city today? What do you do with an election coming up? Who do you talk to? Where do you go? Who do you ask questions of? Well, I would start with access, right? So um, who the the elected officials in our city it's not like we don't have access to these people um in terms of maybe email local forums that are being held that really does happen a lot of the time uh i think people just stay at home and watch television wow. <laughs> instead of you know getting out of their comfort zones and actually going and being a part of these events where you can actually have the opportunity to go hear local candidates, hear uh, local office holders as they articulate policy, where you have the opportunity to ask questions um, and, um, and, and get feedback. Uh, social media has even made our political officials on some levels even more accessible. They have Twitter accounts and Facebook pages and things of that nature and, and, um, and forums like that where where these political officials and those running for office are accessible. And so I think the first thing is getting out of our our bubbles, right? Getting out of our our normal routines because mm-hmm. if you genuinely as we genuinely care about our communities, that's going to that's going to take an investment from us. 
And so if I care about my community and I care about the direction that it's going, then I'm going to have to make an investment. That means I'm going to have to sacrifice my time. Uh, I'm going to have to uh, put up resources um, and um, I'm going to have to change my routine in order to actually engage with the world around me. I think one of the things that that hurts is that when people don't engage, uh, the decisions that are being made, policies that are being developed and pushed are created by uh, smaller circles of people. And when people don't engage, there's even a lack of accountability that that goes with that. Right. And right. so then when we see things happen, well, how that how that happened? Well, there was a city council meeting on that, you know, <laughs> but you didn't go to it. <laughs> you know, they would even open the floor for questions and for you to voice your concerns. But but, um, you know, you didn't take advantage of that opportunity. And I think on, on that level, it's very important to engage. Um, the other thing I'd say, too, as I think about is so. If we care, if we're talking about, for instance, uh, you know, we mentioned life earlier. And so we, we deal with things like that. So, uh, how can I be an advocate for life in my community? Where are the adoption agencies? Mm. Um, wow. where are the organizations that are helping to love on orphans and, and find homes for, for babies and, and, and even for older children? Where are the organizations in our community that are reaching out to young pregnant mothers who may feel like abortion is their only alternative, but, but, but these people are reaching out and loving on them and, and giving them the actual things that they need, uh, to, to be on the side of life. You know, uh, if I care about education, one of the things I've learned is that, uh, I, I started looking around our church and I said, okay, how many school teachers do I have? In our right. church. And so, right. and so in our church, we have an assistant principal and we have two school teachers. I start there, you know, to the assistant principal. How can we be there for you? What can we do to support your school? Mm-hmm. Um, to, to the teachers. Uh, one of the teachers last year, we adopted the class, whatever, you know, and just basically said, whatever resources you're lacking, we got you. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we want to make sure that all of those children in your class have everything that they need. We want to make sure they have it. So you just let us know and, um, you know, we'll, we'll just sponsor your class. I'm getting ready to have another meeting today where, um, more than likely, uh, our church will be sponsoring yet another class for this upcoming school year. And, and so you, you have to start there. You know, um, you know, as, as a Marine, I just, I, we had this saying and it was something that I made a part of my personal leadership philosophy. And that is, I loved having boots on the ground. You know, yeah. uh, I, I served enlisted my entire career as a as a junior marine, non commissioned officer, staff non commissioned officer. And one of the things that I loved about that was I loved being in the mix. I loved actually seeing what was going on because there came a point in my career, for instance, where I I I saw policy, but the policy that that uh, we saw being developed uh, didn't connect with what was actually happening on the ground. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> and so when you're on the ground, you have that perspective. And so I like I like having my boots on the ground in the community, knowing what's happening, knowing what's going on and and not waiting for someone necessarily to craft a policy that's favorable, but lever- leveraging our platform, our voice, our influence, our resources to actually bringing about redemptive change. Hmm. So let me ask you this, and these are really great steps. Um, what would you say about someone staying plugged in 
to the national conversation. Over the past three weeks or so, at the time this recording will be released, we've gone through the Democratic National Convention, the Republican National Convention. We've seen their presentations of American life and democracy and their their attempt to convince us to put them in power over the next four years. Um, how important is it for us to stay connected to that conversation? Or is it just a local sphere to where we vote local, so we only think local? But is there some utility in still listening? I'm just thinking for the people who are tired of the noise, um, who are tired of constantly having to tune in and hearing attack after attack, um, or stigmatization after stigmatization, slur after slur. Um, is, is there some point in just turning it off? How have you managed that? And how have you kept your sanity in the midst of that? Man, the temptation, honestly, is to disengage. Um, because you're looking at the rhetoric, you're listening to the rhetoric and um, you're watching the things that develop. And it's ext- it has been extremely frustrating for me personally, to be honest, because uh, so much of it honestly seems like a circus. And yeah. it, it seems, seems like that, people, you know, yeah, it, it really, really does. And and, you know, the frustration in that is is like, listen, there are genuine lives being affected. <laughs> there are people who are suffering. And, um, and, and we, we need genuine answers. And the, the temptation has definitely been, you know what, let me just turn it off. Let, you know, but what's kept me grounded, for instance, um, my personal devotion time, you know, just reading through the Psalms. That's what I, that's what I'm on for, uh, for Old Testament for the next, uh, for the last couple of months. And uh, one of the things I love about the Psalms is that you see the care of God for all of creation, right? Yeah, yeah. But then you also, you also come into contact with grief. You, you come into contact with, with this tension. You come into contact with struggle and these genuine cries to the Lord as to Lord, Lord, when will you change this? When will you renew this? When will you deliver us? When will you move on our behalf right. and, and work? And so that, that's been healthy to see that in the scriptures because on the other side of that is a very genuine hope. Mm. <laughs> And, and, and it's been that hope that has, that has kept, kept me grounded. And so, uh, what I love about the Christian hope is that we are not necessarily trying to create a utopia in the here and now, but looking forward to the restoration of all things, looking forward to, uh, uh, just the, the, the manifestation of, of sin and death's defeat. And, and the redemption of all of creation hopes uh, and hope and motivation in the here and now to work towards that end. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing that really grounds me uh, and, and keeps me centered and encouraged because being a citizen of the kingdom of God, man, the kingdom is not subservient to the American political process. Mm, come on, Doc. <laughs> the kingdom of God is not subject to whether or not this person gets in or that person gets in. And so one of the beautiful things about being a part of the redemptive work of God in the earth is that we have been empowered and 
been commissioned by God to push back against darkness in every facet of life. And that is not based on who's in office and what the circumstances are, because the work of the kingdom cannot and will not be stopped. Mm. And so we will see change. We will see reform. We will see certain things broken. We, we, we spend ourselves for the glory of God towards that end. All the while knowing that there's an expiration date on all of this death and all of the suffering, all of the lying, all of the corruption, manipulation. There's an expiration date on all of the theater. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what keeps me grounded, man. man. That's so helpful, man. That's so helpful. Just such a great reminder. I think, you know, it's very easy to look at the political process and be discouraged. Very easy to look at things going on in our world and be discouraged. But the Christian is called to hope. And if we are not hoping, we are not Christian. We're not acting Christian. We're not thinking Christianly. And uh, thank you for that reminder. Aaron James, this has been a pleasure, man. Where can people follow you? Where can people keep up with you uh, online? And you can find me at uh, on Twitter at Aaron James, E-A-R-O-N-J-A-M-E-S. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for joining us, guys. Uh, we want you to continue to follow both the website, Rand Network, and the podcast, Pass the Mic. You can follow us on Twitter at underscore Pass the Mic at R-A-A Network. Um, is the Twitter handle. You can also follow us, randnetwork.org as well. Uh, we want you to subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes. Please do that. This is really very important. This puts us in front of other, other people's faces and it gets us better positioning. Um, so if you would rate and review us, if the podcast has been a blessing to you, if it's a good review, I'm not saying don't rate us if it's a bad review, but it helps, you know, if it's a good review. So if you've been blessed by the podcast, do that. Also, please download the Satchel app. Um, our own producer, Bo York, has done a great job putting that together, and he's a big deal in the podcasting world, so we want to support him. If you could, download the Satchel app and then also subscribe to Pass the Mic there. Um, thank you guys again for joining us. We look forward to more conversations, more dynamic voices for a diverse church on Pass the Mic. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to Pass the Mic, a Pottery production. To find out more about this and other shows, visit Pottery.com. That's P-O-D-A-S-T-E-R-Y.com. This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.